Hey everyone and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajamra and I am so excited that you came back to this podcast. If it's your first time here, you came at the right time. We have been doing a leadership series, but we're going to step away from it for the next six weeks. The reason is that we need to focus on fearlessness. We're living in the coronavirus crisis and many of us are still living at home in a shelter in place situation and our anxieties and our fears are going up. But we know as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, that there is a better way to live. It is a way of faith and fearlessness. And so we looked in our archives and found a six-message series that I've taught at Judson University here in Chicago. I think you're going to love it. Each message is about 30, 35 minutes long. We're going to do one a week for the next six weeks, and then we'll resume our leadership podcast. Hey, as we've thought about you and prayed over you, we believe that you might also enjoy our uh, new community page. Basically, it's a Living With Power Facebook page in which I teach live every Thursday from 7 to 8. We'd love for you to be a part of it. All you have to do is go to our website, the livingwithpower.org website, and as soon as you land there, you'll see a box that says join our community. Click on it and join our community. Uh, Then on Thursdays at 7, log in and you'll see me there live. We love what's happening there. God is moving in hearts. Hey, if you want to live without fear, you get together with God's people, study his word, and see him break through the chains of fear in your life. For today, let's take the next 30 minutes, meditate on God's word, and see how he might use his word to cause us to live in confidence that he who brought us this far is going to get us through it. I love you guys, and I'll catch you at the end of this. I pray that we won't just be hearers of the word, but doers only. And isn't that what we want to be? Because that is how you become fearless, is when you take God's word and God's promises and you listen to them, but then you integrate them in your life. And you get to a place where you say, I'm not going to do this on my own anymore. I'm going to do this God's way. And remember, we have defined fearless. Let's say it together just to remember. I'm going to say it first, then we're going to repeat it. For those of you who missed yesterday, you're like just, was a day of oblivion where you stayed in your, you know, snuggled in your condos or wherever you live and, 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 and avoided the rain. We were here. And so let me just remind you, fearless is sure of God no matter what. Remember, that's our definition of being fearless, sure of God no matter what. So let's say it together on the count of three, fearless, one, two, three, sure of, say it one more time. I want you to get that in your brains. I have a thing on my keychain that says God is always for you. And there's certain things in my life that I need to remember, that I need to just have ingrained in my mind because my knee-jerk response to life's difficult circumstances is usually to panic and to fear and to fight and to run and to hide and to do all those things that you're not supposed to do. And and my knee-jerk response usually to difficulties is to look at God and be like, God, where are you and do you even like me? And I'm learning to change that and to base my reactions on God's word, the truth. And so that is why there's certain things that you got to get, just put a line in the sand and say, this is what we're going to believe, sure of God, no matter what. Some of you just this morning, you got some news that you just weren't expecting and you're here and you're like, I don't really feel like being in chapel, but I came. May God use the teaching that I am going to share with you here. I've titled this session, Fearless When I've Blown It and I Know It. Fearless When I've Blown It and I Know It. Turn to the person on your right and tell them, I've blown it. How many of you know that to be a fact? I've blown it. Now look at him again in the eye and tell them, and I know it. Say it like you mean it. Listen, we're not proud of it. We're not proud of it, but by God's grace, look up here, look up here. Listen, we're not proud of it, but by God's grace, we're not going to stay there. 
And we're going to look at a man in Scripture named Peter. Many of you know the, the, the disciple Peter. We have looked at Old Testament examples. Last night we talked about the widow of Zarephath. We've talked about the Israelites and Joshua. We've talked about Mar Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And today we're going to talk about Peter, a very familiar person in the Word. And before we get into the text, just allow me for a minute to pray. God, we pray because we need you. God, we pray because we want to invite you into our presence. We know you're already here. But to pause and to pray just gives us a chance to tune in to you. And so, God, we know you're living in our hearts if we've claimed to follow you. And so, Lord, today, if there's anyone here who is under the weight of their failure, just buried in a place of shame and in a place of hopelessness, I ask that you would just restore hope and that you would minister your love to us in a way that would change us forever. So teach us now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have a Bible, and I pray that you do, turn it to John chapter 21. I'm going to get straight into the text today and give you, how many points do I go over every day? We've already, say it out loud. Do I do one? No. How, three points. We got a three-point outline again. In fact, I had a four-point outline. I was going to make an exception today, and I went home last night after our session, and listen, I changed it. We've got three points. That is about all we can handle. Some of you are like, no, you really need one-point sermons, and, and, and it would be that as it may. We're going to go with it. So here we go. It says in John 21, I'm going to give you a context in a minute, but it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself. After what? After the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Now, now, if you're looking at your Bible, look at the name of the first person that shows up. It says Simon Peter. Now, he was one of the closest three friends of Jesus. But many of you who know his story know that, that it was a bit of a shock that he's listed at the top of the list here because Simon Peter had blown it and he knew it. And yet this is the name that Jesus leads this story with. He says, Simon Peter, Thomas, and he lists the rest of the men. And in verse 3, he says, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now, this might sound like an exotic Saturday afternoon or morning. I'm not much of a fisher person, but, but I guess you fish in the morning. That, that sounds like an exotic thing to do on a nice summer day. This was not that case here in this text. I am going fishing. When Peter said that, this was a statement of despair, of quitting, of giving up. Because remember, what had Peter done at the cross? When they came up to the cross and Jesus was going to be crucified and he had been taken away from his friends, first of all, we think Peter's the one who cut off the ear of, of that, that man and, 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 and Jesus put it back on and looked at Peter and said, that's not how we fight this battle. I'm going to the cross. I've been telling you for three years I'm going to the cross. That is the purpose that I came here on this earth for. And here's Peter, all the bravado. I'm going to look in a minute at, at what Peter had claimed. And yet in the heat of the battle, he gets besides a fire and he denies the Lord Jesus Christ in front of a servant girl who he'd never seen, had never met, didn't have anything to do with her, would never see her again in his life. We don't even know her name. I'm not even sure what happened to her. I wonder if down the road she, got, she came to knowledge of Jesus. We don't know. But in that moment, he denied Jesus not once, not twice, not three times. What's interesting is that most of us, if, if Christ had warned us before that we would deny him, we might have clued in. The first time and the second time. And we might have been like, wait, wait, this sounds familiar. This is like a deja vu. I need to stop now. But, but no, Peter did this thing that he said I'd never do. 
I'd never do. So let's look at, uh, before I go on in John 21, I want to just kind of read you a couple of verses. First, I want to read you the Matthew 26 account. Just hold this thought for a minute because I think this is so important. Let me read you the claim that, that Peter made. It says in Matthew 26, in verse 30, that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. The Luke account is even more shocking. And the first point of the three points that I want to give you today is this. Your failure is not a surprise to God. If you've been writing the points, write this down. Your failure is not a surprise to God. Listen to Jesus' words to Peter in the other account in one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 22. Here's what Jesus says to Peter well before the denial, well before the fishing incident. Here's what he says. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. This is one of the three closest friends of Jesus. He's been walking with Jesus. He loves Jesus. He's the one who says, when Jesus said, do you guys know who I am? He says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. This is that Peter. And Jesus looks at him in the eyes and he says, Simon, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. What that means is that he might separate you from me. That is what Satan wanted to do to Peter. He wanted him to fall off the wayside. He wanted him to quit. He wanted him to be another Judas. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He says, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Uh, the message, I looked it up today, and the wording of it is, when you have come through, turn to your companions and give them a fresh start. Gee, your failure is not a surprise to God. Some of you, you said like Peter did, I will never do this or that. I will never sin this way. I will never watch this thing on TV. I will never do this with my girlfriend or boyfriend. I will never have a same-sex attraction. I will never say these things. These words will never come out of my mouth. I will never get into this drug or that drug. I will never do these things. And some of you, you sit here and, and, and people around you might know that you are doing those things, even though you, you started off well and you started off walking with Jesus and you started off doing the things that were right and true and, and in a state of fearlessness. But somewhere along the line, just like Peter, you have fallen prey to Satan's attack. And whether you sin because Satan has stumped you or because the flesh is in you or because you never knew the Lord, whatever the situation is, you've blown it and you know it. And it's caused you to be afraid. And I might admonition to you and my word to you and my, my urging to you is to remember that your failure is not a surprise to God. He knew it before you walked out. But he knew you were going to do that. Listen, the amazing truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. It's never been about you and I keeping a perfect record. It's never been about us doing it right every time. It's always been about his grace in our life and his love for us, even in our worst condition of sin. I have three nephews, and they'll come over to my house, and the two-year-old is going through the stage where he's just like a little devil. I mean, he's hilarious and he's cute, so he can get away with it, but he's getting to the point now where he doesn't really get away with it, you know? And you just want to be like, like, how can you be this way? And yet, even in the midst of his bad behavior, I still love him and I haven't even born him. And I 
wonder at how easily we doubt God's love, which is why John 21 is so massively life-changing to you today. Because in it, Jesus shows up and finds Simon Peter, the very man who had betrayed the Lord. And in fact, after he betrayed him, Peter was aware of his own shame. And it says in all of the Gospels that he went out and wept bitterly. He was disgusted with himself that he would do the very thing that he said he would never do. And how many of us understand that sense of failure? You might be a Christian looked high upon in your circles. You might be a worship leader. You might be, uh, have led small groups before. I don't know where you are. You might even be a professor here today. And you know in the secret of your heart that there are things that you're doing that, man, you, you thought you'd never do. And Jesus would come to you this morning and remind you that your failure is not a surprise to him. He didn't accept you because of your ability to keep things right, but because of his deep, deep love for you. You know that it is your failure that is the pathway to your breakthrough. Peter, interestingly, he had quit the ministry. He had said, I'm going back to the thing I know. I'm quitting my day job, and I can't tell you how often I've done this very thing. I've been in difficult places in the ministry, and I've been like, that's it. I'm done. I'm going to go back to my day job. I'm a doctor. Why am I dealing with this ministry stuff? People always, I used to work at a church, and I used to be in the ER at the same time. Now I do all this ministry stuff, and I'm working in the ER, and, and, and people are always like, how do you do this? It must be so hard working in the ER, and I tell them, no, man, it's a cakewalk. I mean, I go to the ER and I sit in one place and I do one thing and everybody's very grateful to me 99% of the time and I try to ignore that 1% of the time. That's why we have malpractice insurance. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. You guys are like, somebody asked me the other day after chapel, wait, what, what, which ER do you work at? They're like, we never want to go there. <laughs> yeah, see. And so Peter goes fishing, but listen, listen. When you're in that state of shame and when you're in that state of defeat and when you're in that state of fear because of the things that you know you shouldn't have done and are doing, nothing works out in your life. So he goes back to fish and even fishing has lost its flavor. They go out fishing and they catch nothing. And what amazes me about this is that Jesus shows up and says to them the exact same thing that he had done in Luke 5 back when he was living. He says to them, throw your nets up. First of all, he, say, he asks them what he already knows. He says, how many fish do you have? Like, how's the morning been? And if you're a fisher person, then you know, man, that is a bad question when you've got no fish. And so here's this guy. He feels bad about himself spiritually. He feels bad about himself professionally. I mean, he's just like, like I don't want to be around Peter that day. And, Jesus, and Peter says, no. He said to them, um, Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And what happens is that they do. They put their nets in the water and they cast. Do you know how many fish they caught that day? 153. And, 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 you know, the count, you might be like, why did they write in the Bible the number? I mean, who really cares? I'm not a big numerologist, so I can't give you a whole lot of information about that, except to say that it was a whole lot of fish. And here's what I've thought about every time I've looked at this passage, is that had the disciples caught 10 fish, imagine that day they had gone out fishing and had a decent morning, maybe 20, maybe 30 fish. And Jesus came up to them and said, hey, how many fish do you catch? How was your morning? They'd have been like, we're fine. We got 30 fish. We're good. We're all good. But the breakthrough came when they were in utter despair. They had nothing. And we look at our life and we look at situations where we're completely broken and nothing is going for us. And we think it's the worst thing in the world. But you know, that is often the place where Christ can come in and breakthrough can happen. And how might they have missed this miracle had they been like, we're good. 50 fish today. We're fine. And yet Jesus had so much more in his heart and his mind for these men who were 
on the verge of losing their hope in him. And so, of course, you know the story. Jesus asks them to come out. And here, Peter, of course, is ashamed. He puts on his outer garment. He gets out towards Jesus. And you've got to give Peter credit. But you've got to also understand that when you know Jesus, no amount of shame and no amount of sin can keep you away from him. So even though he's ashamed and even though he knows his, his own misery, he, Jesus is out there and he just wants to go towards him. And how many of us don't understand that? I know I do. I know that there have been patterns of besetting sins in my life where I'm like, I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to do this. And yet Sunday morning comes and I'm running to church. Why? Because somewhere deep in my soul is this belief and this hope that this God who claims to be mercy would have mercy on me. And listen, and he does. So here's Jesus. He has breakfast made for Peter. He didn't need a fish to be rotten from the sea. He already had a fish. He didn't need Peter's offering. He just needed to point the fact that God is the one who gets all things done in our life. That this God is the one who goes before us and makes a way. Look, I'm a sucker for old worship songs. I love these like 80s songs. And I know I beat up on Chris Tomlin the other day. He's not really, I mean, I'm even more like, you know, retro. And I mean, this morning I was in the car and there's a song, God will make a way. Where I can't sing worth a dime, Matt. I apologize. But man, I can like jump around the stage, that's about it. But, but God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for you. And you might be like, man, I'm, I'm too broken, I'm too ashamed, I'm too sinful. How can he do this? I think the biggest lie in our Christian life is the idea that we've just exceeded our chances. See, that's what happens is that the first time when you first come to Christ and, and you keep patterns of sinning, at first you go, well, I'm just a young Christian. And then what happens with time is that you just figure, well, you know, I, I just did it again, you know, and the whole Britney Spears thing, and whoops, and I didn't mean to do that, and then you do it again, and do it again, and, and there comes a point, then you're like doing this thing with God where you're like, God, I'm so sorry, I'll never do this again, and you're like, really, really, lay off the music thing, you're just like, yeah, thanks, I'll stop talking about music altogether, but, <laughs> but see, it's the 10th, and the 20th, and the 30th time, and there comes a point, I don't know where that point is to you, but you think, I, I've exceeded my chances. And yet somehow God in his love thinks that of the whole thing differently. See, when you have life in Christ and you're a son or a daughter, this is, this is the obscene nature of grace. He never throws you out. There's a friend of mine at work on Facebook. She put this thing this week about her son, and he's still 25, living at home, very much the typical millennial. But she's frustrated with him. They're fighting all the time. And she puts this on Facebook. Guys, you got to wonder, like, who does things like that? But people do. And she's like, I'm so frustrated with my son. I want to take a poll. Who of you thinks I should throw him out of the house? And everyone's like, he's 25. Throw him out. Throw him out. Throw him out. And the truth is, she might need to throw him out temporarily. But do you understand that Jesus never gets rid of his children? There is a stability and a security and a fearlessness that comes from knowing that God is for us, even when we are not for ourselves. And there's a freedom that will motivate us to change. See, God is well aware of your failure. And even if today, and I pray that today you will say never again, God, I'm so compelled by your love that I'm leaving my old ways behind. I want to start fresh. Listen, you will do this today, some of you. You will go by the river there that's overflowing. It's the river now. It used to be a stream. And you will sit there with your Bibles open and you'll take a journal and you'll say, I've made a decision, Spiritual Enrichment Week 2016, hashtag changed forever. And then a week from now, if you're lucky and you can last that long, you will do it again. 
Or maybe you won't. Maybe you'll go through years. Or maybe you won't ever do it again. And I pray that you won't. I pray that the love of God will so grab your hearts that you will have a sinless future. But the reality is that we are broken. See, the amazing thing of the Christian life is not that we will from now on get it perfectly because we finally went to that sermon that changed our life. But it is that God in his grace keeps pouring his love on us over and over and over again. The first point is your failure is not a surprise to God. The second point is this, your failure is not final. Your failure is not final. It is for your good. I think about what happens next. Jesus was not done with Peter. This is what's so awesome. He says when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and those of you who like hang in posses, like you got to wonder, this is kind of how the disciples were. They were like your worship leaders. They're always together and never alone. And like you want to be like, no, this is a moment like I want with Jesus alone. And you hope, like I'm picturing the scene and I'm thinking like, like was Peter like, guys, can you just go move, turn your head around, like look at your phones, do something. Just don't listen to this conversation. And Jesus looks at Peter in the eye, and three times he asks him the question, Peter, do you love me? I was reading that quote that's been on Facebook so much lately by C.S. Lewis and, and just reminded of this, that God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. It's not like God didn't know what Peter was going to say. It's not, listen, what even about words? Jesus knew what Peter's heart was. He knew that Peter hated what he'd done. He knew that Peter wanted to be restored. He knew that Peter loved him. He wasn't asking Peter for his sake. He was asking Peter for Peter's sake. He says he knew it. Yes, Lewis says, God knew it already. It was I who did not. So often I walk through times of trial and testing. I feel like sometimes I put God on the, on the test, and I think, God, will you be faithful to me in this test? And over and over again, God has reminded me that in my life, it's not about me testing him to see if he will be faithful to me, but every test is a test to see whether I will be faithful to him. We already know he's faithful. And when he sits before Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? This isn't about Jesus finding out what's in your life and heart, and if you say yes, you're in, and things will go well with you. It's simply about you having the chance. Aren't you? We were just singing that song about holy, holy, the Lord God Almighty, worthy is him. And I saw you guys, so many of you, your hands are raised and you're singing. And isn't it a privilege for those of you who understand that feeling? There is a joy in us when we love God. And even we might be aware of all of the sin that we've done in our life. And yet in that moment, when we raise our hands and say, we worship you, he's pleased in our worship, but we take joy in worshiping this God and expressing to him the love that we feel, and how many of you who have been in that place of worship don't understand that passion in your heart. And in fact, your failure, speaking of passion, is often the pathway to deeper passion. Who can understand God's love more than the person who has received him and his love deeply? Isn't that the parable and the stories we've heard about in the Gospels? Remember the woman who came and poured the oil on Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her hair. I hate feet. Like, do you understand? It's disgusting. I get these hockey players, and you can't even walk in front of the room. It stinks so badly. And then they're like, I got an ankle injury. And you're going, please, God, no, not an ankle injury in a hockey player. Because it reeks. And you're just like, you're like, please take your shoe off. And he's like, it's swollen. I can't. And you're going like, is your mama here? Because I ain't touching that. And someone takes it off, and you just like, like put on gloves. 
And I didn't remember when I was here last year, I told you I forgot to wear gloves for a rectal exam once, but I've never forgotten to wear gloves for the foot exam. <laughs> See, God uses us despite our failures. Amen. Everyone say amen. <laughs> and there's something just so humiliating about feet, isn't it? Come, imagine you with your friends showing up to this meeting and being like, before we start, I just want to wash your feet. And we would just be like, no, don't do that. In fact, Peter had said, don't do that, Jesus. And Jesus says, I've got to wash your feet. See, your failure is your pathway to deeper passion. I was talking about the woman. I was like, why did I even talk about feet in this context? Well, it's because a woman who washed the feet with her hair and poured the oil in. And Simon was like, how can she do that? She's a prostitute. And Jesus went on and gave him a parable. And the point of the parable was he who is forgiven much would love much. And is it any wonder that here's Peter who is like, God, God, I love you. I love you. I love you. And at the end, he's so frustrated because he's like, Jesus, I just want you to know how much I love you. And Jesus is like, feed my sheep. And this moment of failure was for Peter a pathway to deeper passion, but also a pathway to greater dependence and to maximum usefulness. It was just a page in your Bible later that P Peter would go out to the Pentecost. And I don't, you know the story. If you don't, you need to sign up for a New Testament class. I'm telling you, he shows up. They have a prayer meeting in the upper room. They wait to pick a new disciple. Then he goes and preaches a sermon. The same guy who couldn't stand before a servant girl stands up before thousands of people, preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people give their life to Christ. Some of you here, you've given up on the fact that Christ could use you. You're like, I am such a sinner. He'll never use me in ministry. You listen to me. God has a plan for your life. And just like he used Peter to give the disciples a fresh start. Remember that, that version of the message that I read from Luke 22. The whole point of this test was for Peter to be restored and then to be able to look at people in the eye and say, there is no sin that you can do that will offend God so much. As long as you repent of it and turn afresh, as long as you come back on the right page. See, so many of us were like, we hear a message like this and we go, oh, she said I can sin and be a good Christian. That's not what I'm saying. That is not what I'm saying. If you are actively engaged in sin, there has to come a point in your life where you repent and you say, look, I'm, I know I'm not going to be perfect moving forward, but I want to change. You say, you say, well, who determines what's sin in my life? Look, look, I've told you this from Monday till now, and I'll repeat it until Friday. You've got to get in the Word of God and let the Spirit of God speak to you. Our problem is that we are looking to other people who are tweeting and Facebooking and blogging and Instagramming, and we think they know what sin is, and they might or might not be interpreting God's word right, but you need to get into his word and ask the spirit to convict you in those areas in your life that you're holding out on him. Some of the sins in my life that Christ is dealing with me now, you don't even hear tweeting about. Just, you might think, but it's not even a sin, but it is in my life as I get closer and closer to the Lord. and I see the light of his truth shine on my heart. There are things that you might be like, that's not such a big deal, but, but it is because the Spirit of God is convicting me of it. If I don't respond, yes, Monday we read about the Jordan and right before they crossed the Jordan, do you know what? We didn't, I didn't spend too much time on it because I was watching the clock, but it says consecrate yourself and tomorrow you will see miracles. Some of you, you want to see God's power in your life. Listen, you will never see more of God's power in your life until you give God everything. You will never see God's power in your life until you give him the rights to yourself. See, you were bought with a price. 
Your body is no longer your own. Say, but, 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 but you don't understand. That's the way I was created. No, no, you were created in the image of God. One of the biggest problems that we have right now is that we, we, we think our identity is based in, in our sex and in our sexuality and how we feel about that. And, in, and, and we've created this entire system that makes no sense to me. Listen, as long as your identity does not rest in the image of God, you will always be miserable. You will always be confused. That's true if you're heterosexual or homosexual or unisexual or sexual or asexual. We are not our sex. We are children of God, either separated from God by his wrath because of our sin or reconciled by Christ and made one in him. Listen, God doesn't care about your dating status. He cares about your heart. He's created you to have eternal life in him. But if, aren't you tired of trying to do it your way? I tell you, I am tired of trying to get God to do what I want him to do by trying to control him with my sinful behavior, thinking, man, who's going to hold out longer? some point, listen, Jacob tried that method, and he ended up with a broken hip. He limped his whole life trying to wrestle with God. Aren't you tired of wrestling with God? Here's the third point, and I'll be done. So the first one was your failure is not a surprise to God. The second one is your failure is not final. The third is this, your failure is not about them. It says, and I'm going to read a few verses leading up to that after this conversation about do you love me? Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you are young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. You can write in the side of your Bible. This is about dependence. This is about dependence. See, the older you are in Christ, the more time. You see, we think we got to get stronger. We got to get like more able to, to do this on our own. But I'm finding that every year and every decade that I do with the Lord, every day that passes, I am more dependent on him. And he, he comes to me in my areas of inadequacies. And he says, I, I allowed for this so that you would lean on me. And those of you who hate your weaknesses, just turn them over to the Lord because the more you walk with him, the more you will see the beauty of depending on him in those areas. That is the goal is to depend on him in those areas. But then this, it says, Peter turned in verse 20 and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? This is like you having bus doing business with God, and all of a sudden you see a little status update, click on your phone, and you stop your quiet time, and you look, and you see God, like you see someone going, yay, God, I just got offered, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, dude, God, really? I thought we just had this thing, and you're going to use me. And she just... And your eyes are on them, 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 them. Listen, your failure is not about them. God has a story just for you. Your failure is part of your very own story. Take your eyes off others and fix it on the Lord. Our greatest problem, in my opinion, in 2016 is that we are spending so much energy looking at what everyone else is doing in the world that we can't see what God is doing in our own lives. And we are miserable because of it. I wrote these statements down. Fear looks at other people's stories and wants what they have. Fear blinds us to what God is already doing in our life. Fear hangs on to the lie that God is holding out on us. And fear forgets that God is good and that he is always for us. 
Isn't it time you embrace your failure and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ who is waiting for you with breakfast ready? Isn't it time that you lean on him in utter dependence and hope for a beautiful future, not because of your ability to get it right, but because this God who we love and serve and sing about is a God of second chances. Listen, there's nothing like serving this God. Look, I wish I could tell you that life is going to be easy for you. I wish I could tell you that you're going to be sinless from now till eternity. Some of you will be more than others. But if you're like me, it will be a daily decision to surrender to Jesus and a daily kneeling on your knees and asking God to use you despite you and being blown away by this amazing grace of God. Listen, if you've blown it and you know it, you can be fearless, not because of the way that you live, but because of Christ's love for you. You can be sure of God no matter what. If you're in that place of shame, when this is over, I'm going to have you stand up like I always do at the end. Just go ahead and stand up. I'm going to close this in prayer. You're going to rush over to your next class. You're going to be doing your thing. If you hated this message and be like, man, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm going to do things my way. Then I pray that God would soften your heart. But if somewhere, somehow, something this, I said caused the Spirit of God to stir in your heart a desire for repentance, and I ask you to take 5, 10, 15 minutes of your day and just go away by the river on your own. Get on your knees, open your journal, and ask God to have that conversation with the Lord that you've been trying to escape. And God, by your grace, we ask that you would renew us, that you would restore us, that you would refresh us, that you would revive us, that you would light in us a fire so so, so burning with passion for the glory of your name, the fact that you have forgiven us, even in our worst state of sin, blows our minds away. God, Father, enamor us, enamor us with your love. Lavish it on us. We so need it, and we're so deeply grateful of it. So God, do your thing today in our hearts. Do it despite us, and do it for the glory of Jesus Christ, who paid gave everything on the cross for us, and it is in His name that I pray. Amen. Well, aren't you glad you listened? I don't know about you, but I needed this reminder that God is greater than my fears. And so if you've enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to share it with your friends. We'd also love for you to let us know. Email me at lena at livingwithpower.org. But more importantly, we'd love to meet you in a deeper and more intimate way on our Facebook community page. Uh, again, just go to livingwithpower.org. As soon as you land there, you'll see a blue box that says join our community. It's free. Every Thursday, I teach there live, but we have all kinds of interactive things there for you to grow closer to God and to get to know His Word more. Hey, we're so glad you came today. Know that we'll be praying for you. We love you, and we pray that God will continue to manifest Himself into your life in greater ways and in a more intimate uh, fashion. Uh, I'll see you guys next week. For now, enjoy the day, and thanks for tuning in.